0: We are joined today with another group of amazing autism parents to talk about on today's uh, Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, our favorite school accommodations. And I think it will be interesting, actually, Christine, who's joining us, it'll be interesting to get your... Perspective, Christine, because um, my favorite school accommodations I feel like in elementary school may be changing as we transition into junior high, and then probably also um, because I have Caleb, who's on the autism spectrum, and then my other son, Trevor, who is neurotypical, but he's just academically behind because um, of just his uh, before he came to be part of our family. Um, It's interesting because I have a different set of favorite school accommodations for him in high school, and so I think it kind of is that whole. Tiffany of, you know, favorite school accommodations for elementary school, then favorite elementary or junior high or middle school uh, accommodations, and then even thinking ahead to high school, what are some of our favorite accommodations? So I thought it was worth doing a podcast about. So um, let's start with Tanya first, since your mic is unmuted, um, because we are still under quarantine, but still persevering with technology and podcasting from the great living rooms all over Spokane, Washington. Tanya, um, you, as you've been on our podcast numerous times, you are a parent of a child with autism, but you also were a school counselor. And while you were had your school counselor hat on, you were in charge of managing the 504 or I'm sorry, yeah, the 504 plans for your school, right? So you probably have seen a lot more um, accommodations and maybe even non-traditional, the ones that we don't see every day. So I was actually excited that you were able to be part of the podcast. So tell me personally and then professionally ones that you saw being used when you were managing um, and overseeing the 504 plans for um, for school.
1: Well, 504 plans are often put in place um, for students who don't necessarily qualify for an IEP or because they have something temporarily medically wrong or more permanently medically wrong, but they just need the accommodations, not like specifically designed instruction, which is what IEPs do. Yeah. Um, so they just need like some extra accommodation. So I typically often see some kids with ADHD who don't necessarily always qualify for the specifically designed instruction, but they just need like extra time on tests and stuff. And so they'll have a 504 plan. Um, some of the things I've seen with 504, like we've done um, temp- Temporary 504 plans for like if a student breaks their leg or we have a student who had a pit line going to his heart, so he couldn't be bumped in the hall. So like one of the accommodations we wrote for him on the 504 was that he had to leave class early so he could get to his next class before the hall's were filled with kids. Um, Which so makes total for, uh, sense. Professional like accommodations I've seen. Um, my favorite with my son, who's very different. My son has a lot of like, gets sensory overload really easily and really low frustration tolerance. And he's not very good at realizing all the time when he needs a break. So um, one of the things, his accommodations is like anytime he asks for a break, he's given one no matter what. Because we're trying to encourage him to do that himself, to be a self-advocate and realize when he needs a break. So if he asks for a break, a teacher has never denied him being able to go take a break. If he does several different things on his breaks, it depends. Sometimes he'll just go and eat a snack. Sometimes he'll go to the school social worker's office and play with her kinetic sand. Ooh! And uh, yeah, other times he'll go um, downstairs and they have a little um, trampoline and they have a stationary bike, and he'll just ride off energy on the stationary bike just to get off out some energy. Now, do you ever
0: have you ever known your? And I'm only asking because I'm asking for a friend because I know, like, uh, I'm certain my not my child with autism, but my tenth grader would abuse that in a heartbeat because um, you know he's just. You know that kid. So, have, has he has he figured out that there are advantages for? Hey, you have to give me a break, and so I'm gonna ask for a break. Or has he really just used them um when he needs them? Um, sometimes he sometimes he uses them a little more than he should. But overall,
1: he actually doesn't abuse them too much. The big reason he uses them actually is because he is always hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and if he talked about this, yes, he's yeah. If he gets hungry, he gets really grumpy. So he's constantly like. He has a one-on-one para and she carries around a bag of snacks for him that have the snacks. I send him to school with like five snacks. And so he, and like, if he's in PE, you're not allowed to eat in the gym or you're not allowed to eat in the library. So sometimes if he starts getting hungry, he'll just have to go take a break just so he can get something to eat. And so that's the main reason actually why he takes a break is to get a snack. More than anything else, he takes breaks for snacks. Gotcha. But he hasn't gotten to the point where he's like, well, I just don't like this. I'm taking a break. And sometimes he actually – part of the reason why we're so, – his teachers are so big on him letting him take a break when he asks is because he's not – when he's really getting upset or frustrated, he's not good at asking and often will want to stay in the class when he really needs to take a break. Yeah. He won't want to be left out or out of the classroom. I can, and yeah. so they're trying to really encourage that with him that, you know, when you need a break, go you need to advocate for yourself and go take it because he's not always good at realizing that and he doesn't want to leave sometimes.
0: Sure. Now, um, is that his only accommodation that he's using, or does he have other ones? Oh, I
1: was going to say, <laughs> but that, say that's, that's, that's the more of the merrier. Yes. He takes frequent breaks because he also has, like, his shorter attention span. So, like, after sitting in class for 20 minutes, he's, like, ready to just need a five-minute, like, break and then come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially with math. Math is his big frustrating and writing too, but math especially it's, he does okay with it, but he just doesn't like it, and so he gets frustrated easily especially yeah. with how they teach math now. And so he just sometimes when his parent realizes he's getting frustrated, he just needs to, you know, walk away regroup and then come back to it.
0: Nice. Christine, you are my mom that is you were, you guys. you guys made the transition. So you guys are now seventh grade. Um, so let's talk about elementary school. when he when your son was in elementary school, what were some of your favorite accommodations that um, seemed to really work for Cameron?
2: Well,
3: I mean I hate so I hate to say what my favorite accommodations were, um, simply because we were incredibly lucky um, to get the accommodation that we got. Um, From the time that my son was in first grade, he had a one-on-one paraeducator with him all day long in the classroom um, until he was in fifth grade. So his entire elementary career, he had a one-on-one one paraeducator and we were incredibly lucky um that he had a good relationship with her that she was incredibly helpful um and she truly helped you know manage the issues that we had a lot like um tanya's son my there would be classes pe was one of them that would really trigger karen just a sensory overload would trigger him and so it was um really um, crucial that we had a one-on-one para because she would be able to take him out of um, that environment and they would maybe just go for a walk around the school campus or go out on the playground where it was maybe, you know, more calm and he would be able to, you know, regroup. Um, she also helped to provide... Um, sort of that specially designed instruction I mean she would be able to do all those things in terms of breaking down the curriculum that a uh, um you know the regular classroom teacher probably wouldn't be able to do um you know, we we had all the regular academic accommodations more time on tests um, a reader if if need be we could have used and if Cameron had, had difficulties with writing, they could have had a scribe to write his answers. And then he would only, you know, have to verbalize. You can, you can get all of those academic um, accommodations fairly easily. They, they tend to be the standard practice when writing IEPs, you know, they're always teachers and um, special um, education groups and the um, IEP team are always going to, you know, suggest here are these it's, it's really the ones that go above and beyond that have been my favorite. The the one-on-one paraeducator was invaluable. When we made the transition to sixth grade and that didn't happen for us, um, well, I I can't say that. We ended up only getting a paraeducator in his general education classes. So um, once he moved to a six period day in a a middle school model, um, he had um, two periods of um, special education. So resource room, English and math, and then the rest of his time was in in general education. The um, paraeducator was only with him in those general education classrooms. That said, if there was a classroom that where there was already a paraeducator assigned to the classroom, to the teacher, then that was the paraeducator that was in the room that Cameron could access and not necessarily the paraeducator that was, say, assigned to him. So we've struggled with um, that transition of having multiple paraeducators in his general education classrooms that are... Ge- paraeducators for the classroom and not necessarily for cameron mm-hmm. um, so while grades one through five it was my favorite accommodation i feel like when that support was taken away for from cameron we were left with a um, a deficit that we've we've had to try and backfill now and get Cameron, um, much more used to self advocating for himself, um, following along with the curriculum on his own. Um, and we've struggled with that. He's in seventh grade right now. And while sixth grade was, was okay, seventh grade has been a real challenge and we know going forward, um, you know, I, I think, I think the process is just getting a little bit harder for us.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Christine, let me ask you a question because, again, we're not quite to middle school. However, I see Cameron as being more of an extroverted kiddo. He seems very extroverted and he likes social interaction and... um I mean, he might need to have, you know, it dialed in a bit, like, whereas Caleb, my kiddo, who he's still in the sixth grade, he is definitely introverted. So he really um, does not like coming out of his like comfort zone. He, um, you know, if you were a close, familiar person to him, then all is well. But he's really an introverted person. And so... One of the things that, you know, because we're in the process of doing meetup meetings or move up meetings is what they call them, which is where mm-hmm. the team from elementary school and then the team from junior high get together and they start actually like formulating what a plan will look like for Caleb when he goes into middle school next year. But one of the big things that we're asking for is that he has to leave five minutes early from his classes to get to his next class before everything lets out, because I guarantee you he would be in complete and total like shut down if he had to do passing sessions with everybody else is that something that you guys also have utilized in middle school or is that really not as much of an issue for cam
3: we actually did that in elementary school um and then so again we've been in a fairly unique situation in that our district is um will move to a true middle school model next fall. Cameron's um, one of the sort of the transition classes where um, when he m- moved to sixth grade, he did move to the middle school, but they were segregated in an older part of the building. And so it was really just still his sixth graders that he um, had gone to school with the whole time. Uh, They moved and they were self-contained in a in a situation where it was just, you know, that 120 of them. And so while Cameron had to get um, used to having a locker and having a passing period and going between classrooms, um, it wasn't as big of a transition as it was um, to then the seventh grade model where they're in the much larger building, his, um, classes are, you know, upstairs or downstairs or way down a hall or way down in another wing. Um, and that's been a little bit challenging. Um, we tried to a- accommodate that as much as possible in terms of Cameron has a pretty large binder that has a, um, like a strap so he can carry it like a duffel bag kind of thing. And he just doesn't really, he just goes from his class to his class. But in elementary school, actually, what we did is have Cameron leave um, school early because at that end of the day, um, just so many kids in the building. Um, and and we managed to not have Cameron get to school very early because we kind of the same thing. We know he would just shut down if you know, he had to be all in that big groups of
0: people for any length of time. Mm -hmm. It's just too many, too much stimulation for sure. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You have. it looks like you have something you want to piggyback on that. Well, because Logan's fourth grade. So he has
1: another full year before middle school. And this is something I've thought a lot about. He already can't handle kids bumping into him. He thinks everything's on purpose. Yes. And he gets, and he shoves back, even if it's an accident. So Already at elementary school, when they all come in from recess, he comes in early with his para so that he's not in the stairwell with all the other kids because he just can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And in the morning when he doesn't do, because that's when all the kids are outside for recess in the morning before lineup, he doesn't do it at all. We meet his parent in the office and he gets to go up to class first before the other kids get there, to be able to hang his coat up, hang his backpack up without being all crowded around because he cannot handle. So that's already an accommodation that I've already been thinking about that he's definitely going to need when he gets to middle school mm-hmm. because he would handle crowds of people bumping into him very well. So he will definitely need, like, to be able to leave early to have that space.
0: Yeah, for sure. Bonnie... I'm going to give you a second here to unmute your mic. Bonnie is joining us. Um, So, Bonnie, you have two kiddos. Um, So, you know, you've been on several mini podcasts, actually. So um, briefly describe your two boys and then maybe talk about each of them independently when we're talking about the school accommodations for each of them. So uh, Jackson
2: is eight and is 11. So we're still dealing with um, elementary school. Um, The difference between the two is Jackson is in gen ed and uh, gets pull out services where Evan is in a D.I. classroom. So obviously that's a lot different. Um, So I would say uh, Jackson, he did used to have a one on one aid. Um, Unfortunately, we had to fight very hard to get that almost where we were going to court We had to do a mediation with the lawyers and uh and then they made us every month go back and see if we still needed the aid still needed the aid every month it was just it was really draining and i i'm very thankful that um he had amazing teachers that would work with him so um we felt comfortable uh when they said it was they were done using the aid that that was fine um but the accommodations he gets now is he would get like extra time, um, extra time doing his work. They uh, he does use the resource room for reading and math. Um, he also has a person that he just really connected with, and the school noticed he connected with. And so when he does have those hard moments or something that sets him off, triggers him off they're able to call her and he's able to go be with her, um, which has been a great help because um, he doesn't connect with too many people. And another really amazing thing for him they've done is, as you guys know, for them, making friends is really hard. Mm-hmm. And he he happened to be in kindergarten in um, a class that had a lot of children that English was their second language. And he really... Um, he really became friends with these two Marshallian boys. And in a way they kind of had the same pr- problems going on because although they were learning English, he was having a hard time understanding English. So it really worked well. And they, him and those two boys have been buddies kindergarten, first grade, now second grade. And what they have done is every year they have made sure that those two boys are in his class mm-hmm. so that he maintains those friendships. Um, Cause it's just hard for him to get those. So they recognize that. And they think it's important enough to keep it going for him. Cause they are a big help to him too. Wow. that's Bonnie, I have to ask,
3: are these, are these written accommodations though? Or is this just something the
2: school is doing? So the friendship one, no, that definitely was not a written accommodation. Um, the, uh, uh, being able to go to that teacher. Yes. That's written in there. Okay. Um having them out. Yeah. But that, the friendship one, um, that school has been very accommodating on even letting us help decide what teacher he gets. We get to know their backgrounds first. We get to know if they have a special ed background, if they've had kids with autism in their class before. And, um,
0: and we're really able to help make that decision on where he goes every year. And that's for Jackson, and your son, that's higher functioning, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Oh, that's very cool. That's very nice A um, collaboration there with your school. I want to piggyback on that.
1: I'm just realizing looking at my son's accommodations, like, because in elementary school, they're just so good at giving him needed accommodations. I'm like I mean, his breaks aren't even written into his IEP. Oh. <laughs> right. yep. Automatically giving it to him. So that's something I definitely want to make sure gets included in there for middle school, because he'll have more teachers, but his elementary school team is, is just so awesome that they just automatically do it, yeah. even with it necessarily being written into his IEP.
3: Well, I think that's important to note. Um, so, one of the things that we have found as we've moved through, you know, the seventh grade year is um, a lot of the um, instruction, a lot of the um, assignments that are required of students. So much of it is is online or on. Chromebooks, Um, you know, they're using, the students are using technology. And for Cameron, what we have found is that that is really difficult for him. Um, One example is in sixth grade, he had a science teacher who had two very large screens at the front of the classroom and notes that were supposed to be taken. They were all digital notes. So they would create these digital notebooks. And so the teacher would flash you know, one of the slides up on one screen and, you know, go through it. And then he'd slide it over to the other big screen and flash the new information up on, you know, the the main screen. And, and there was just so much information coming at Cameron that he just couldn't focus. It was so frustrating. And, and finally, I just had to say, look, I'm sorry, but Cameron just, he can't track it, Like he's not gonna be able to track from one screen to the next screen to onto his screen and swiping it into his digital notebook. That just doesn't work for us. We need, we need a different system for Cameron. Um, and so we had to work through that. And while it wasn't a written accommodation in his IEP, because that would have meant going back to his IEP, rewriting it, amending it, et cetera, et cetera. Just the teachers and I collaborated, we we identified what, um, you know, problem Cameron was having and, and we addressed it. And so we were able to sort of address it as it was. The same thing has happened um, with seventh grade in terms of a lot of the um, tests and quizzes and exams are all online. And Cameron does um, much better with a paper and pencil one where he can literally like scratch out the answers that he knows. Like we've tried to teach him to, you know, tricks for, okay, if you know an answer on a test, you know, when it's multiple choice, if you know an answer is really wrong, scratch that one out so that you're not even, you know, trying to scroll through it and decide yes or no. Just if you know it's a no, scratch it out and then process of elimination, you can choose your words. So we've actually asked, the teachers, to give Cameron paper and pencil tests instead of having him take his tests online. There's something about that kinesthetic. um, It's super visual for him. It's very tactile. And he does much better with those kinds of tests. But again, we didn't amend his IEP all we did was ask the teachers to make that accommodation and they were more than willing to do that
0: yeah and we're actually the opposite Christine is that we Caleb actually um his biggest accommodation that I love and keep in mind I'm anti-technology I really don't like technology however because of Caleb and the fact that he has dysgraphia um he is the exact opposite so um his accommodation is, is that he does not write any assignment. He has an iPad that goes everywhere with him and everything has to be provided to him. And he has to be able to turn in every single assignment. Um, because for some reason, his ability to type out the answers versus him having to use and manipulate the pencil to actually get the words out, um, is so much more difficult. Just spelling alone. If he has to have a pencil and paper and doing a spelling test, you know, he's probably only about 60% accurate. If he can actually use an iPad, iPad and type it all out, his accuracy goes up to like almost like 90 to 100%. So he's kind of that opposite. The thing that's frustrating for me, though, is... Um you know, I, I'm a person, I want it all documented, but we have come through a situation where we came from a school district, we had a really bad um, experience. And so transitioning to our new school, um, I, I don't have any reason to be concerned um, or feel like they're going to screw us around, but I still am really, uh, I have a lot of anxiety about making sure everything in terms of accommodation is is noted. Um, just because it takes one change of staff to all of a sudden, everything starts coming unraveled. And that's kind of, I guess what happened, you know, last year is that, you know, slight little switch and who's working with my child, you know, like every single day that then became an issue. Um, so we're kind of the opposite. We tend to use the technology and he has accommodations for, he has textbooks, every single book he, because, you know, he has a reading issue, you know, his, you know, reading is, um, you know, he's below, he's got, you know, um, I guess a disability rating for his reading, but that's the thing too, is he can listen to a book or have somebody read him the, you know, the passages or, you know, get the textbook and he can, he can he retains it versus him having to actually read word for word. His, read, his reading comprehension then declines considerably. And that's also the other accommodation, too, is that he can actually do his tests where he's actually orally giving the answer, because, again, his ability to get it out of his brain through a pen or even typing. But if he has the ability to be able to describe and in you know, talk to a person so that he can explain to them what his knowledge base is, it's all, it's a lot different. It's harder for them to grave on that, especially standardized tests. It's a lot harder and it takes time. Um, But those are probably like my most favorite for Caleb But Caleb, you know, he's gen ed. He only goes out to the learning support center um, for, you know, 20, 30 minute segments, a few times a day, you know, well, it's probably one time a day. Um, And here's my other big one, a freaking calculator, I mean, let's Mm -hmm. be real people. Like something as simple as a freaking calculator. Like, okay, does anybody take pen to paper to do like all this like, you know, massive calculations and long division and la 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 la? Heavens no. We just don't do that. And so I put the stop to this whole you know, like garbage with, you know, teach my kid how to do this math with a calculator because it's real, be real, like have, give him the story problem, give him then a calculator and help him work out the, the answer to a story problem using a calculator versus having to read through it to get the right information to then have to do all of this more complex paper to pen, you know, mathematical calculation when you can just teach him to use a calculator. And so um, the hard part that we've had is just consistency in utilizing those accommodations, because again, um, You know, just in sixth grade, the way that our school does it is they rotate three times. So his class gets up and moves to the next class for math, and then they get up and they move to the next class for history or science. And then just making sure that all of those teachers are using those accommodations. And so really what you said, Christine, I think is spot on is that it's then teaching our kiddos to be able to advocate for what their accommodations are, but then it makes it really important that they know why they need it because it's no good if it's on paper, but they don't know why it's actually helpful to them. Um, so he has to be able to articulate, well, no, I need to use a calculator because, you know, I can figure out what information I need to pull out of a story problem, but it's just, I need to be able to use my calculator to actually do the math. And so that's where we're having right. to teach him some of those things. But, um, Bonnie, I, didn't well, I think that'll in. become
3: more important, the older that our kids get. So the more, you know, like eighth grade, it'll be that much more important that Cameron is able to advocate for himself as he moves into high school. It's going to be that much more important that he's able to advocate for himself. I think the other thing that I'm, that I'm thinking we're all saying is that, um, while we can have our favorite accommodations, I think that anybody's favorite accommodations are going to be what truly makes their child successful. So whereas Cameron needs paper and pencil, Caleb doesn't. And so while that may be a favorite accommodation for me, that wouldn't work for Caleb. And so I think truly knowing your kid, knowing your kid at school, um, knowing your school, knowing how they're teaching, um, you know, our, our district uses a ton of technology. My knowing that, and then my knowing how Cameron works with that or can't work with that, doesn't work with that, what he struggles with, then leads me to know what accommodations are going to be best for him. Same thing with you, knowing your school, knowing how Caleb works, then you can know better how to ask for those accommodations that are going to help him be successful.
0: And I think you're right. But I think that the problem with that is, Christine, is I think um, parents don't know where to start asking. Like no one ever told me mm-hmm. or suggested to me that I my child could do oral tests nobody suggested that to me. Not one person suggested that to me from a a teacher from either school district, that that was a suitable option for him. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that's where I think that it really does help knowing what other people have for accommodations. And the reason why we use this one is because my son has trouble with blah, 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 or my daughter struggles. Because again, if you don't have a starting point of knowing what what accommodations are out there, um. again, it's like when you go to a lot of these organizations to apply for services, they don't just be like, Oh, well, your child, this is all the things that you can get, which one would you like, you have to know what the, what's there to ask for it. And that's the hard part, which yeah. is why I was hoping to utilize like kind of this podcast platform is that again, if you don't know what to ask for, again, we know our kiddos. But, you know, there's probably a handful of people that are listening to this podcast that had no idea that you can actually ask for oral tests. You know what I'm saying? Just because it's not something you see every day.
1: Yeah. And to go along with the whole tech, I know our school district does use technology a lot. Christine and I are in the same school district. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, Logan also most likely has undiagnosed dysgraphia. So writing is very, very difficult for him. In fact, if it's a lot of writing, he'll usually ask his parent to write for him. And so one of the things where he gets OT at school occupational therapy And so they're working on teaching him typing and um, how to do a speech to text.
0: Oh, that's I love that one, too. Oh.
1: The only problem with my child right now, Greg, if he's only in fourth grade and one of the problems is he gets a little silly with it because he likes when it says things completely like incorrectly. <laughs> well, who wouldn't love he, that? He, I, it is pretty I, funny. So, I gotta say. so his, his OT will constantly tell me he's like, yeah, he got a little silly with the speech to text today. I'm going to tell
0: you right so- now and then I want to get back to um, Bonnie because you have another kid I want to talk about real quick. But we actually came across, it was um, Caleb's speech therapist that re- turned us on to a new app that's called lens and it's through Microsoft office suite. But the cool thing about this, if you guys don't know about this, I would highly recommend downloading. It's totally free. But the cool thing about it is, is that Caleb, because a lot of his textbooks and stories like, um, you know, like books that library books are provided to him so that he can listen to them using his iPad. But the thing about it is, is when somebody hands him then a worksheet Um, And he struggles, you know, if he can read, it's just that he misses stuff when he reads, especially like, here's the instructions of what you're going to do. Read all the instructions before you start. So he's the kid where we read the first line, and then he's going to try and execute on the first sentence of the paragraph because that's his working memory is really flawed. So the cool thing about this lens app is, is that he can take a picture of his worksheet, um, and then he just hits a couple of options and then it will basically go through, will analyze it and then it will read his worksheet to him. So, I mean, you can even use this for like instructions on the wall where there's like something, you know, instructions on, you know, like a store closing or something like that because of the COVID-19, he can use the app, scan it, and then it will read to him what the words on the pages. And again, it's not because he can't read. It's just that his tendency is to read the first sentence. And then a lot of times, especially when it's in instructions, he's then, you know, popping off and trying to do the first thing. But then everything else that he's not read, then he screws up the rest of the worksheet. So um, Lens is a really great app, too. Um, well, one of the things I did also, knowing that
1: technology is so big and that in the future, it's going to be really beneficial for Logan. And so I was planning on getting him this for his birthday. But with... The whole quarantine, when I found out the schools were closing down, I went ahead and bought him a cheap Chromebook oh. and I automatically logged him on to his school account on it. So it automatically, so he just goes off. It's right onto his school account. And so it, we're working on that because his teacher's posting assignments to Google Classroom. And so yes. and I put him on typing.com so he can practice typing because I think that will be really beneficial for him because writing's so difficult. And so it's kind of getting him used to using the technology more at home and getting more practice than he has been at school lately. Mm-hmm. So... With the schools closing down, it kind of—I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and purchase this now, since we're going to
0: be home. Yeah, I hear you there, Bonnie. Can we circle back to you real quick? Because we um, covered one of your kiddos, but we didn't cover your other kiddo, Evan. So when you're talking about Evan, like, talk to us a little bit about some of his accommodations and which ones. Um.
2: So yeah. So Evan is in a DI classroom, designed instruction. He um is very low functioning and he is not capable um in any way, even for a little bit of the day, to be in a Gen Ed classroom. So the one thing I would say easier about that is um, you know, there's a little less worry about stuff. You also have teachers that um are automatically special ed teachers. Uh, and in our school. Very lucky. Everybody, literally everybody's amazing at school. So I'm really, really lucky. But, um, for him, you know, accommodations for him is, uh, he, the bathroom and now that he's moved up to the class that's fifth and sixth grade, um, he cannot go to the bathroom by himself. So a lot of the kids just go right across and go to the bathroom by himself. That's not something he can do. So an aide has to walk him over Help him with that whole process, change him. He is in pull up still, change him if he needs to be changed. Um, And other important things that I had written in there, whether I knew if that's how it was or not, was that he was not out with the other, he was able to be at his class, but they would not have him out with like the general education classes for recess, for lunch, for things like that, because that's just too much for him. Mm -hmm. So um, he does handle sitting and doing the lunch part because of the timing. They're pretty much leaving right when the other kids are coming in. But, um, you know, he doesn't have to go to the assemblies if um, he's having a bad day. That's going to be too much for him. So he would have somebody that would sit with him in the classroom. Um, he does get extra time for stuff, but there are things that we've just chosen to completely take him out of the state testing, things like that. That would oh, not on. be something I think that it's fun to have him do the state testing. Why not ruin the <laughs> curve? <laughs> right. And I would love to see him write an essay because it'd probably be about, I don't know how he loves computers or something, but. Um, That's nothing yeah, to do with it, what the
0: question was.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. But, um, yeah, so we sign him out of stuff like that. Um, things that aren't written into the IEP, they do allow us to come in whenever we want um, at all times of the day if we want to check on him. Um, I know that some other schools do this where the teachers have a texting app, so we text throughout the day to make sure that he's having an okay day. Does he need something? Um, things like that. We've, we've just been really – I actually thought it was going to be harder with our lower functioning kid through the whole school process. But what I learned was it's actually a lot easier and it's harder to navigate with Jackson because um, the such as PE, music, things like that. When you're walking in in a class and you're already in a DI class, their expectation, they know it's a bunch of kids that have different disabilities. They're ready for it. When Jackson comes into PE, he's in a regular class. Sometimes I've had to actually have meetings where it's just the PE teacher, the music teacher, the art teacher, and say, hey, you know, I think you guys are having a hard time understanding Jackson. Uh, Because it's harder, I think, for them to read and understand um, what a comment. I I say, hey, were, were you given the IEP at the beginning of the year? Because lots of times I think for those classes that are such short periods of the day, they kind of forget to educate them on, on the certain children. So although your teacher knows the PE teacher doesn't know, you know, or they might just say, Hey, this kid has autism. Well, you kind of need to know more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, like Jackson was getting in a lot of trouble in PE and I was trying to figure out why. And then it was like, well, she would ask him not to do something. He would do it anyways. So he'd lose the rest of the PE time and have to sit on the bench. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Let's have a conversation about that. And her thought process was she thought she was being nice. Well, I don't want to treat him different than everybody else. I don't want to treat him like he has a disability. Well, actually, I want you to treat him like he has a disability because he needs you to ask him in a different way. He needs you to ask him more than once so that you fully know that he understands what the expectations are. And whether it's written in, it is totally, I think it's totally important to get whatever you want written in the IV. But also, I think that you just touching base lots of times. I've learned this from failing. I've come in um, like a lion and didn't work too well for me. You know, I've tried to come in saying this, that, the other. I feel like now, you know, if you come in, you're kind, you're caring. I'm not saying it works every time, but you say, hey, this is just really what I need for my kid. And I know we all want to do what's best for my kid. So let's come together. For the most part, I think that it's that it's really, really great and Evan just had his IEP and the teacher said to me, you know, she said, Bonnie, what, what is it that you're wanting Evan to get out of school? And I thought that was a great question because she realized Evan doesn't need to know math. Yeah. Evan doesn't need to know. Those are, Evan's going to live with me forever. Evan's never going to know those things. So it was actually a great question and we were able to sit down and go write out his IEP and go, what are really his needs? Can we do, can we kind of focus on, some more living stuff, but it's still school. And we were able to come up, you know, with some great ideas, like what type of number learning would he need to know how to use the microwave or to know how to use, you know, t- timers and all those different things like that. Or how would he, you know, what, t- what, what level of reading would he need to read simple instructions like a stop sign or things like that? Um, so I think that, um, you know, you got to think out of the box a little bit and then, um, Also, if you have to, and and hopefully you won't, you do remember that no matter what, you get a fight for your kid because that's your kid and those are your accommodations that you know your kid best. I think that's really
3: important, Bonnie, for everybody to recognize. While we're talking about accommodations, um, we, we should also sort of marry that with what are the types of learning goals that you can request on an IEP? And I think what you just stated about Evan in terms of What do you want him to get out of school? It's not just accommodations. It's what kind of learning goals should we be writing for, um, our students Um, because PE is a huge trigger class for Cameron. We pulled Cameron out of PE and I don't plan on putting him back. He's incredibly active um, in other areas of our life and having PE is just not some place where I want to put him. We would much rather him um, be in some more elective classes where we can kind of explore some strengths and weaknesses for him. He absolutely loves music. We had him in music class and he loved it. We had him in robotics first quarter and woo, that was, that was tough. Um, While he loved it. The level of, you know, just information that they needed to know in order to do robotics was a little bit overwhelming for him. Um, But music, music was amazing. He picked up the ukulele and in three days he was playing it. Like it was just something that was right up his wheelhouse. So um, we, like just even, even writing those learning goals, PE is not going to be a learning goal for camera. We're going to do physical activity and learn that kind of stuff outside of school. Um, and just like with Evan, let's teach him to use a microwave. Let's teach him to lure, use a timer. You know, what, what learning goals are going to be the most important for, you know, our
0: kiddos. Totally. And, and I'm completely with you. And, and I, Bonnie, I'm glad that you were a part of this podcast because, you know, we talk about accommodations and accommodations, I see more and more kiddos that are higher functioning, we do require the more accommodations because they spend more time in gen ed. And so then that kind of is that guideline, if you will, for how the instruction then is applied and different things like that. But so my husband's son, Cooper, who's going to be 17. And so he's in high school. Um, and he's very challenged, Bonnie, just like, um, Evan. Um, you know, we're still working on language development, him to be able to communicate his needs and wants. That is a really high priority. Um, Also, too, we would really love some help, like even with just, you know, like toileting and stuff like that, where I know, again, it's not the school's responsibility, but, you know, him, you know, recognizing the times that he needs to go and hopefully work him towards some of those things. And again, another one for his you know, IEP goals is, you know, like shopping, here's a list, let's go to the grocery store. And can he identify the things on those lists that are things that we're going to purchase and making a sandwich? I mean, you know, using a microwave. So, you know, as of right now, he'll pull a frozen pizza out of the freezer and just eat it raw. Okay, so, you know, a microwave usage would be fantastic. But really, for Cooper and his designed instruction classroom, because again, he's not gen ed at, at all during the day. Um, he doesn't require accommodations because he's in designed and instruct- a classroom. That's basically already like modified for the students, the smaller number of students are in his class. Um, and because he doesn't spend any time in gen ed, it just, it looks a lot different. And I'm with you, Bonnie, you know, it's, it's the hard part then is, is when you're have, you, you have kiddos that spend some time in gen ed or have more language and, you know, um, and, and, you know, cognitive ability, you really do then have to start putting more of your accommodations in place. So I guess that, you know, misconception of like, oh, you know, it's so much easier when you have a high functioning child. Um, And there are some things that are easier. Um, However, I will tell you that Cooper, even though he is more challenged, he doesn't have the same like functional language, if you will. Um, He a lot of times is the easier one. Um, you know what I mean? So even though we have to do things differently, it's, there's, there's more challenges on some ends of it. And then, you know what I'm saying? So for both kiddos, you know, they have their strengths and their and, and the, and the challenges and it's just different. And it's not like one is better or easier than the other, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, But that's for sure, Bonnie, I'm with you wholeheartedly on that one. You know, Cooper's list of accommodations is like this. And yet he is the most significantly impacted. He's ASD level three. Um, He'll go to school till 21 and he has to have 24 hour support. You know, Caleb's list of accommodations is more like, you know, uh, you know, my forearm length because we have to every single classroom like art. He has a list of accommodations for art. He has a list of accommodations for PE. It's like different because it's like how. PE works versus art. So it's like every single type of class that it is has a different level of accommodations based off of what the subject is. And so um, I think that's really, a you know, an important thing. And I, it's completely accurate. Like what Christine is saying is to figure out what, what's your long-term goal. Like for me um, you know, I, I hope that Caleb will go to college, but I don't know, like time will tell. And like Christine, what you're saying is discovery. I'm using school as an, and some of these electives to kind of vet out what he's good at, what he likes, what he excels at. So then that way we can start figuring out like, okay, so now, um, where do we go from here in terms of education and what are our educational goals? What do we want them to get out of, um, school? And it's going to look different than my neurotypical, you know, 10th grader, you know what I'm saying? So, um, are there, have you guys ever been told, I I personally have never been told no, but I'm curious. I'm going to ask you guys this. Um, And sometimes I think I, because I wear the hat of, you know, Caleb's mom, but they also know that I'm also Holly at the Isaac foundation. It's hard for me to tell whether or not they're just kind of like, Oh no, you know, we're not even going to have this argument because, you know,
3: I have.